Welcome to the Encouraged MomCast, where our goal is to encourage moms in their vocation by seeking the Lord's heart, using testimonies from moms experiencing transformation, spiritual advice, and tips on how to minister to your family from the heart of the Father. We want to challenge you to go deeper in your relationship with God so that you can love and thrive in the supernatural lifestyle that is Christian motherhood. Join us every other week to dive into discerning where God is leading you to a more encouraged life. Welcome to this episode of the Encouraged Momcast. Today I have what I hope will be a reoccurring episode series called Marriage Matters, where I get to bring my husband on and we get to talk about all things marriage and biblical foundations versus what the culture war likes to fight about and to just bring in some perspective as a married couple about the importance of marriage because our children see our marriage and they feed from that. So I think it's so critical that we start having productive conversations about marriage and about the fruits of marriage because, and in particular today, we're going to hit on this subject pretty hard. The culture has this very warped sense of what marriage means. And we just want to bring to light what the Lord's intention for marriage was and talk about the sacramental aspects of it and the fact that it's not about surface level anything and it goes way deeper than even our humanity could possibly process. So I'm happy to introduce this episode called Build Your Spouse, Build the Kingdom, because when we're building our spouses up in virtue, when we're growing together to improve the lives of our family by the leading of the spirit to get us closer to heaven, to get us closer to the people that God calls us to be. We breathe life into our households and we breathe life into one another. I think that particularly in this day and age, we suffocate one another with our own ideals and expectations on the human side of marriage. And that is what's causing a lot of discord. So I'm really excited to jump deeper into this today. And I'm thrilled to welcome my husband. It's good to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. I only see you every day and live with you. But we always have really fruitful conversations about nerdy stuff like this. It's true. And we, we've seen a lot in our favorite commentators and all sorts of other, on the political side of the sphere even, people talking about how they're so aware that the core of society is the family. And so anything that's trying to thwart the family is ultimately satanic because it's fighting against a truth and a, a bedrock that the Lord put into place. And I think it's fascinating to see even in those secular spheres, what people think that marriage is. The foundation for this country that arguably is, is the greatest nation to ever exist is, is the nuclear family. Any attempt to remove or degrade that really is an attempt to 
reduce society as a whole and and in a larger aspect this nation it's slowly been working sadly over over the last several years with various people groups whatever it may be secular culture in general constantly pushing a more selfish narrative Mm -hmm. trying to get everybody to focus on them rather than to focus on others it's i mean it's the opposite of christian life really and the opposite of the of the biblical definition of love to will to will the good of another that doesn't exclusively apply to your spouse it applies to friends family neighbors and of course enemies and and yes even then even even those so it's this selfish mentality this me 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 mentality has really been eating away at at society for the last several years and i think it's hopefully finally coming back around with other others creating better more uplifting content and people really waking up to how it's not it's not working yeah Um, people aren't happy people aren't i think that you see this has it's prompted things we've heard like oh it's just a piece of paper it doesn't mean anything it's just a tax break to get married uh i'm just love doesn't last it's it'll just fall apart anyways all these different things that echo exactly what you said it's focused on the self and not willing the good of another that really just ignores this entire other side the spiritual side to marriage that to become one up on that altar you are forever bound together in marriage and it's not just a physical thing It's a spiritual thing. And you suddenly have this new authority, this new access, this new experience. And it's all based off this concept that you are called in the marriage sense. It's even something even more intense. Ephesians 5. We're not going to we're not going to mess around here. We're going to jump into Ephesians 5. Everybody's favorite, favorite Bible passage about marriage, which has the subordinate thing. But specifically, I want to hit on something further down in the passage, 5, verses 28 through 31. And I think that societally, we're hitting on something here that totally goes against that verse. Someone who loves someone else can't hate them. And we're watching, there's like a 50% divorce rate in this country. And we're watching people going from loving one another to hating one another which means there's something seriously disordered there. And it's literally ripping marriage apart at the seams. Indeed, it would behoove all of us to to get to the root of, of that, figure out what it is and, and see what we can't do about it in our own in our own small circles and, and work to to improve you know, our communities and, and society around us. It was a uh, it's interesting. I happened to be flipping through some various commentary recently and came across this short video of Christian or, or religious person at all. But this young woman who had gone on a few different dates, she wasn't wasn't married and she was in her mid 20s, which we're we're in our mid 20s and we're married already. And we know mm-hmm. several people who are. So it's sort of a, an anomaly for 
our sphere to be, you know, 25, 27 and, and unmarried, but I realize we're in a bubble. But anyway. Yeah, we're actually the minority. Most people are getting married towards their 30s. Right, right, right. Which is so strange to me. So strange. Same. But this young woman was lamenting on this video or post she made where the last several dates she went on, young men she went on dates with had, quote unquote, using her words, husband energy. Not exactly sure what that's supposed to mean, but it harkens to the the point we're, we're talking about where individuals, whether it's the man or the woman in the situation, don't exude or or showcase this desire to be together, to settle down and start a family, to use the... The older you get, the harder it is to meld together two things that are already so formed and so set in who they are. But we got married at 20 and 21, and it's been a lot easier to create our own life together in our own rhythms because we're young. You grow, you grow together. You you mature and and learn together. I mean, I think this, this particular uh, person we were, we were listening to use the analogy of, you know, balls of clay. And and if you're, you wait till you're 30 years old, you're sort of, you've established 10 years of, adulting and norms that are that you've acknowledged as as baseline parts of your life and it can be minor things like load the dishwasher in the morning instead of before you go to bed at night or you You put your glasses in a specific spot right you put your glasses in one spot when you put your cups away in the cabinet they go you know up or up or upside down i mean it's it could be a, a number of super minor things or or something larger like routine if you're 30 years old, you've had likely had a job for 10 years and you've grown accustomed to your routine of, you know, let's say going to bed at midnight and waking up at norms and you try to put them together. There's going to be much more friction there than if you have two younger people like you and I were when we got married and still are for that matter. Still young, still young and dumb. Now add six more years of that and all that all that learning and growing that would have occurred in that time frame and then two separate people and try to merge that together versus working through it together um from the beginning it really wouldn't have worked out for us because we're both oldest children and we have that large and in charge mentality and we get set in our ways so easily so if we got set in our ways for 10 years and then tried to come back together and figure this thing out, it would be much more, I, I have no doubt we would figure it out, but there would be a lot more tension in our marriage when I feel like there's none now, which brings me to a similar point that I wanted to hit on a phrase that I know is for the most part a joke, but I really don't like is happy wife, happy life. I understand that the man is supposed to cherish and present back to Ephesians five, his wife without blemish before the Lord, but It does not mean she gets whatever she wants. And that should not be the cornerstone of happiness for a couple's life together. And secondly, even if you're joking, you're declaring that over your relationship in a way. You're verbalizing it out loud. And I have a hard time believing that the people who talk it don't believe it on some even minute level that their wife needs to be happy for them to be happy. And I think that's another culture thing because it's not about making the other person happy. You can't make somebody happy. 
that's not even possible. We are not in control of other people's emotions. And if we are, it's called manipulation. And that's a much more sinful experience to be coming from. And I think that we need to be thinking about going to God about things and then going to our spouse about it. Even, you know, if there's something we disagree on, you know, I don't like to fight. And so I will take it to Jesus and figure out why I feel the way that I do before I take it to you. And you're always incredibly respectful. But I think that that's a good parallel to this because if we abided by happy wife, happy life principle, I feel like there would be some sort of weird groveling happening on your end or some sort of desperate attempt to, um, I don't know, make me feel better about whatever's going on instead of me as a person being accountable to my own emotions and figuring out whether or not it actually makes sense or if I'm just having a gut reaction, if I'm talking from tiredness, if I'm talking from this space that isn't reasonable and actually has nothing to do with you, or if I'm actually coming from a place of hurt or frustration or pain that is related to you. So I feel like the happy wife, happy life thing has connotations like, okay, if she's not happy, she's going to take it out on you. Or you have to make her happy or keep her happy in order for you to have a good life. And again, I know that I'm kind of taking this quote to the extreme, but I really want to break it down and maybe break it up because I don't like that we're declaring that the marriage is dependent upon the wife's happiness. That's not biblical. That's not right. And that's not how God, God made us partners. I love this quote. And I actually think it's quoted from St. Ambrose or St. Augustine. I can't remember. One of the doctors of the church talked about how Eve was not pulled from Adam's head, made from Adam's head to rule over him, not made from his feet to be crushed under him or to be trampled on by him, but pulled from his side to be veiled, to be protected, and to be loved and to be cherished by him and to be equal partners with him in life. And so I'm I'm on a little bit of a platform here to get rid of the happy life or yeah. happy wife, happy life quote. More of a tirade, it sounds like. Yeah, um, that, that's, I wouldn't disagree with you on that. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's, it's even a phrase that I've heard used multiple times and, and often in jest in, in my own co workspace and, and, and extended family. It's all, it's, it's very common and I'm not entirely certain where it, where it started. You know, That's a great question. I don't know if it, um, if it has its, if it has its roots in, uh, in the mentality that, that men are to, are, are to, husbands are to serve serve their wives, but in, in a way that, that takes care of them. As, as you said, it comes from that, that mentality, but on an extreme level where men feel like they have to cater to every, every whim, um, in order to, to keep their wives in, in a good mood. And if they're in a good mood, then, then he can be in a good mood. It's, it is, it's strange. I'd be, I'd be curious to figure out why exactly it started. They don't know. It sounds like several sources on on google my uh, ever reliable deep scholastic investigative journalism here although the exact origins remain unknown they basically just say that a happy wife can predict the happiness of marriage overall or the happiness of their spouse while this might not be backed by your research 
It's something people believe in. This is from www.regain.us. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds like it almost could very well be a placebo effect, kind of like you were saying with the whole people who say it even in jest or declaring it over their marriage. It almost sounds like a, somewhat of a placebo where if you you say it, if you acknowledge it, if you, even a fragment of you believe that's believe that to be a reality, then that will then be your reality. It's your, your, right. you're adjusting your mindset exactly to that. But it's, 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 it's important to have balance. It's not, you know, I'm not typically one to advocate for any additional difficulty on the part of either my wife or or wives out there, but it at the same time it isn't fair to to the the man or the husband to always be putting watch a whole bunch of sports because that's what he wants to do after a long day at work in place of spending time with his kids or helping helping cook dinner or anything like that. You know that's 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 not what I'm getting at. But an example, you know, even from from our household recently, yesterday I got home from work a little bit. A little bit later than normal and proceeded to go outside and work on the chicken coop to get our our animals buttoned up before this this cold snap that that, that was com- that's coming in and that takes away from my time inside and ability to to help you with with the boys or or dinner or anything like that and it's you know it's not that i'm wishing additional difficulty on you and it would have undoubtedly made you happier i would assume to have just stayed inside but at the same time there was there's things that do need to be done at some point Um, i don't know that it would have made me happier because i understood that it was a necessity sure that it wasn't about me in that moment and it wasn't as if you were neglecting myself or the boys that would have made things different it was more you offered to take liam out with you you offered to do what you what you could to still get that done and still be including us. But I think that's that's where we succeed in in our communication and our understanding of and prioritization of these things around the house. But that's where I think the happy wife, happy life mentality or or mantra sort of would would deviate from from what we did. It, I think it would profess that despite the chicken coop needing to be buttoned up and secured before cold weather, I should should have stayed inside and you know, figured it out. It's different. I think we do a good job. And I think that society as a whole- We do okay not abiding by happy wife, happy life. Right, yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm glad you feel that way, even if it's foreign to you. I'm joking. I think that my problem with that phrase is that it does the opposite of what we're talking about here. It doesn't build your spouse. Right, your right. spouse has a mission from the Lord. The first mission, of course, is your family, your marriage. It's your first vocation. It's your calling. And that comes first. But you also have a mission where the Lord is calling you to serve in a certain area and to build his kingdom in a certain way. And if we're not having constant conversation and constant discernment in prayer together individually about where the Lord is calling us to do those things, then we're not building our spouse, especially if we're living in this confined mentality of, I have to make my wife happy by doing these certain things. Or if my husband 
doesn't fit this mold I made for him, then he's not a good husband. Or any sort of secular mentality, oh, he doesn't make me happy. I just don't feel it anymore. It's just not working. Those excuses that we make, and obviously there are very real, and people these days are more concerned about how the other person is affecting them instead of thinking from a heavenly the other person yes yes exactly and how we can think about that from a heavenly perspective like okay god my husband's really struggling today how can i help him how can i love him okay lord my husband made a human mistake help me to respond in the way that you would respond to him these sort of mentality shifts are the ones that are forgiving they're compassionate they're kind they they actually produce the fruits of the spirit. And when you're producing the fruits of the spirit in your marriage, you're producing them in your kids because they watch how you treat one another. The golden rule never ends. You learn it at an early age, but it never dies. Very true. So we just want to leave you with three quick ways that you can start building your spouse to build the kingdom. Now, we jumped around in our topics a little bit just to kind of give you an overarching foundation of where our ideas on this come from, but we just want to throw out three quick ways that you can build your spouse to build the kingdom. And the first one is obviously to pray for your spouse, but not just to pray for them, pray with them and just talk to God about them. And what I mean by this, it it goes a lot of ways. If you're having a rough day, offer your rough day for your spouse that they might have a beautiful day, a better day, and build them up that way. If they come in the door and they're having a rough day, then say, okay, God, what does my spouse need from me right now? And ask him so that you can take that little prayer and you can act in love and help them feel better in that moment and help lead them towards God. And of course, as always, just praying with your spouse, taking big decisions to prayer discerning what the Lord is calling you to do together and all of those overarching things. But more specifically, just taking a more casual approach to prayer about for and with your spouse and just have conversations with God about them. Thank him for them and all those different things, because that will put your mind and your heart in alignment with the Lord's on how he feels about your spouse. Definitely on that vein of, of talking Another, another good one would be, you know, would be communication. The age old saying is cliche is it may sound goes communication is key. Make a point to, to interact with, to, with your spouse um, and, and tell them what, what your needs might be or ask them what their needs are. Um, you know, I can't, ex- can't express enough how uplifting it is for me to, to come home and, and get asked, you know, what do I want to get done this, this today or this afternoon or, or this weekend or wh- whatever it may be, you know, and, and make an effort on in, in response to moments like that, make an effort to involve your spouse in, in as many things as you can, you know, uh, whether it's the chores around the house or, or whatever it may be, make a point to try to have, have them with you in, in those moments. Cause that communication and that, quality time really can't be replaced by, by much else. Thank you for that feedback. That's nice to know that 
that uplifts you. I appreciate that. The third and last one is to react from love. And this one can be the difficult one. I want you to remember that your spouse is a human being who is flawed, but who is striving for the Lord. Even if it's meagerly, even if they're just starting out, even if you don't think they're doing it right, you need to react from love. People are not converted. People are not changed to come into the heart of Christ, to be revolutionized, or even become Christian because of the apologetics of it all, because of the logic of it all. That plays a part of it. But most importantly, people experience the love of Christ and it changes their hearts. That is the whole gospel, is people experiencing the love of God and being radically changed by the experience of just being with him. That is what your spouse needs to experience if they want to be built up for the kingdom by you. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you're on your last leg, even if you are really annoyed at them, ask God how he would respond to your spouse because they will change their heart when they experience the love of Christ through you. Even if it's the hardest thing you're doing right now because you're in a rough patch or it feels like a dark night, ask the Lord how you need to change to see your spouse the way that he sees them because you acting from the heart of the Lord and bringing an experience of the love of the father to your spouse will change them because God is changing them. Not because you're trying to change them. That hardly ever works. Watch every rom-com ever. Every relationship that falls apart is because they're trying to change one another. This is about becoming more like the image of God that he created us to be becoming more like that facet of the body of Christ that we are, whether you're the finger or the toe or the knee or the elbow or the eye, it doesn't matter. You have a unique purpose and a unique function in the body of Christ. And in order for your spouse to be built up for the kingdom, for you to be built up for the kingdom, you two need to react to one another the way that the Lord would react to you. And that's a hard calling. It's calling us to die to ourselves. It's calling us to grow and stretch in uncomfortable ways. And it's causing us to become one on a deeper level than we did before. So those are our three tips for you. One, pray for, pray with, pray about each other. Two, communication is key. You cannot communicate enough or over-communicate. And three, react from love so that your spouse is experiencing the heart of the Father through you. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode. We're hoping to do more Marriage Matters and just talking about our heart for marriage and our heart for relationships. And you can give my husband a little round of applause for sitting through this first one with me. Hopefully he enjoyed it and we'll get to do more and bring you more thoughts on marriage and how important it is for moms to invest in their marriage and to be growing with their spouses to grow their family. So as per usual, give this podcast a like, a review, a follow, check out the question for this episode on Spotify if you're listening there, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Encouraged Momcast. If everything we're doing resonates with you or even just one thing, we would love for you to check out more of what we're doing at www 
theencouragedmom.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Jillogic, J-I-L-L-O-G-I-C underscore. And be sure to follow The Encouraged Momcast on Instagram as well. And we will see you next time.